Hello everyone, I'm Becca, dietitian by trade, mom 24-7, wife from the start, and when there's a few extra hours in the day, you might find me hitting the trails or on horseback. And I'm Kara, a therapist to women, a mom to a boy, an entrepreneur, mountain junkie, and a postpartum runner. And this is Fit for a Queen, a podcast that's devoted to the female athlete wanting to balance the teeter-totter of all the things we desire out of life as women. Performance, health, intellect, and taking time for self, even if we only get one minute out of the day. We're so excited to be bringing you the queens in the athletic world who have done just that. Okay, ladies, take a seat at your thrones, grab your crowns, and welcome to Fit for a Queen. All right, welcome back, Queens. We are excited to have Stephanie Munt on with us today. She is a physical therapist and running coach in Scottsdale, Arizona. Her business, Volante PT and Performance, specializes in helping recovering female runners return to training and competition without fear of reinjury. Steph was a distance runner in high school and college, struggling with an eating disorder that contributed to repetitive bone stress injuries. She hopes to transform and improve the management of running-related injuries in females to foster a greater sense of resiliency and empowerment among these athletes. Stephanie, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Did I pronounce your PT Volante? Is that how you pr- pronounce that? I did, yeah. Oh, that, yes. I appreciate like how'd she know remind us was i remember seeing it on an instagram post but remind me what that stands for so it's got kind of two meanings at least for me you know of course like every word has multiple meanings but the one that spoke most to me was flying or capable of flying and Mm. that's just kind of how i feel when i'm you know in the zone when running and so that's what i was trying to kind of embody with that Nice. I am sorry, Stephanie, I got distracted because I'm reading a little bit of what like you wrote to Becca and I'm seeing the Drake Relays. I'm from Iowa, so I ran at the Drake Relays all of the time. On Did that you blue, really? Yeah, on the blue track. That was where we uh, went to state, too. So Yeah, where are you from? I'm from Tipton, Iowa, but the Iowa City area, a very small town on eastern Iowa. Yeah. Okay, there was a gal from Tipton that I, I think I competed against at the Drake Relay. She was really good. I'm from Urbandale. Okay, okay. How how old are you, might I ask? <laughs> this is going to be really yeah, funny. I'm 30. Oh, it wasn't me. I'm a little <laughs> older than you. <laughs> it was her, her twin sister, younger sister. Uh-huh. <laughs> what distance did you run? I probably know her because Tipton's such a small town. Yeah, I can't believe I'm forgetting her name right now, but I ran distance. Uh, 1503. Um, yeah, I know who it is. I think her name is Ashley. She's a really good runner. Yeah, she's a yeah. really good runner. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. She <laughs> ran it in college. Anywho. <laughs> yeah. Small world. Yes. Well, let's talk a little bit about if you feel comfortable. Kind of share with us your journey as an athlete, some of the highs and lows that you experienced and things that you saw and learned that you would like to change as, as an athlete in your journey. Absolutely. So I obviously was a runner, distance runner, and I think the highs were mostly winning. (laughs) Yeah, that's always a good one. (laughs) But I think that that unfortunately kind of fostered or was why I loved running and kind of contributed to the eating disorder because that became my, basically my identity, my way to fit in and feel valued in the high school system. But 
think Drake relays that championship, as you know, being from Iowa, Drake is like bigger than state there. So that was really fun Mm -hmm. um, as far as high school goes. And then moving on into college, kind of incorporating some of the lows here. So my senior year of high school, I got my first stress fracture and I still was able to sign with Arizona State, went to run um, at Arizona State. But when I got there, I wasn't able to run until I reached a certain number, 100 pounds, really. So Mm -hmm. I was tiny really in the midst of anorexia Mm -hmm. and that was really tough just you know going somewhere where you thought you were going to have a group of friends and then you can't run with them you're basically not around these people and you're kind of isolated so that was definitely a low but my second year I finally decided because I still hadn't gained the weight I had finally decided to actually seek treatment and once I gained some weight and I was finally able to clear, or I was cleared to run with the team, that was definitely another high. And my coaches at Arizona State were so awesome. They took me to Pac-10s that year. It was Pac-10s at that point, not pac 12 And even though I had only trained for, you know, eight weeks, once I was finally at the right weight, they took me to Pac-10s so I could have that experience. And I think I was 18th out of 21 in the 10K. It was not good, but It was just such a cool experience to be there with the team. And I think with that, then the lows were just the way that stress fractures were treated in college. And that's kind of getting into what I want to change. It was really tough to even get an MRI at at our school. It was football players first. You know, it would be like, all right, go put some ice on it. And it took forever to actually get it accurately diagnosed. And then once it was, it was like, okay, six weeks in the pool and then jump back into running. And that did not go well for me, yeah. <laughs> you know, stress fracture after stress fracture. So I think it's hopefully getting better now, but I don't think that stress fractures are diagnosed as well as, as um, they should be. There's a lot of like blame on muscular factors or, you know, instability or muscle imbalances. So improving the diagnostics of that, as well as the plan once someone is diagnosed. So it's not just this go swimming, come back. We're not going to address the root cause, which is how I've, you know, gotten involved with Becca. We're not going to address this possible relative energy deficiency. We're not going to address sleep. It's just let that bone heal a little bit, jump back in. And I think that leads to repetitive injuries in a lot of these female runners. Stephanie, if you feel comfortable answering, I'm curious when you had that treatment in, in college, one thing that Karen and I hear a lot is they kind of, uh, many athletes go through the motions, they do what they need to do, they're people pleasing, but they don't fully buy into recovery. Do you feel like when you went into treatment that first time you had recovery in mind or was it like, I'm just going to do what's needed so I can hurry and get back to running? It was definitely the latter. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like it kind of forced me into it. I still wasn't sure that I had you know, a huge issue. Seeing other girls on the team, I was like, they're thin too. I don't really see what the issue is here. But if this is what it takes to get me to run, then I'll do it. So I think that's a that's a great point. It's just kind of like the, a means to an end, unfortunately. And you actually mentioned something. It just reminded me my surprise of running in college of, you know, I think probably every other places too, but Iowa tends to be like a running state. I think with Drake Relays, it's really popular. And I think transitioning to college, running and track and field is not the hot sport. Do you feel that in your case too, that it was a bit overlooked? Like because of the 
you're running sport yes do you think therefore like things were missed or things were looked over because it wasn't like the big three of college sports yeah yeah I think that's absolutely possible and there's not really at the high school level there's not really a support system Mm -hmm. and then even moving on to college the support system is primarily for these money-making sports yeah one physical therapist there and physical therapy was never brought up as part of my treatment plan but you'd always see the other athletes in the training room and they'd always come first you see there's only one physical therapist there yeah that's crazy to me it is yeah for what 550 athletes that were probably there at the time something like that yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. so yeah what are some of the things I know you mentioned a couple but some other things that you learned that you'd like to change so I think the first thing is identification of disordered eating even in athletes who may not have that quote, that stereotypical look, I definitely looked like I could have an issue, you know, that stereotypical, very thin, but since I didn't necessarily change in high school, I think it was hard for my parents to see because there wasn't a dramatic drop in weight. It was just that I didn't develop like Mm -hmm. many other females. So I think, especially getting into college once girls leave their parents and there's fewer people to kind of keep an eye on it just making sure coaches and physical therapists are checking in on beliefs and attitudes around fueling around why their injury occurred and once they're injured too they're like if they are restricting you know changing their diet to kind of make up for quote the fact that they're not expending as much energy because that can lead you down a bad path as well so I think the recognition among physical therapists is where I can have a big impact. And then educating on the treatment of stress fractures and how it can't just be jumping back in. You know, we need to have a progressive exercise plan to get back into exercise routines. And also what we can do to reduce possible stress fractures in the future. You know, heavy resistance during strength training and plyometrics are really good for that. But I don't think that they're being programmed as much. It's just, you know, straight back into your running training. So you have been such an advocate for education, training around athlete as an eating disorder, what that looked like in your your college realm when you're out of it. You've also now translated that into profession. Tell me kind of that you have two hats that you do. You do the physical therapy, but you also are a fantastic running coach. How have you used this advocacy, self-knowledge, and professional knowledge to change sport? Sorry, that's a loaded (laughs) one, isn't it? (laughs) It's also a run-on sentence. Sorry. Okay, I should have had some puncture. Period. End of sentence. Pause. I'm hoping. I'm hoping we, I am helping to change. It's uh, you know it can be hard to to tell, but physical therapy wise, having the tough conversations I think is the the big the start and being open. And I think sharing hopefully sharing my experience allows others to be vulnerable and see that okay this person knows where I've been or you know a similar situation to where I've been and I can talk about it. And then using a team, you know, like uh, Becca and I uh, refer back and forth. And that's the biggest part, I think, knowing that 
just because it's outside your scope doesn't mean it's not your responsibility, you know? Mm, so I like that. that's if, a good line. That's if good I, line. yeah, if I talk to someone about this and, and, you know, bring up just what are your feelings around food? Have you had a history of disordered eating? Are you having a regular period? And the answers are leading me towards, okay, this might be an issue. Then it doesn't mean I have to solve it because I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm not going to solve it. Right. <laughs> but I can refer to people who can and be the person who helps them through the exercise component. Cause it also doesn't need to be demonized. You know, when you're recovering from an eating disorder, it's so hard to know, should I exercise? Can I exercise? Am I working against myself if I'm doing some movement, but our bodies thrive from moving. So I, I think being a guide and a coach through that realm, they kind of, they end up going hand in hand. The PT part is, really just comes in more if there is an active injury, but many runners just need more of the the coaching guidance and not to be medicalized. But I think that that helps too, because a lot of times, again, things that get normalized, they're going to dismiss. I see that all the time. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I can't handle nutrition when I'm running before or after. And then when you tell them that sometimes that can be a consequence of underfueling, they're like, oh, really? Okay. I just thought that was normal with running. And I love what you said. I'm probably going to butcher her quote though, that, you know, just because it's out of your scope of practice doesn't mean that you don't need to, what did she say? I'm going to ruin it already. It's still your responsibility. Mm -hmm. That's completely important because that's also going to hinder their ability to make progress as a running coach, be able to progress mm-hmm. in healing from their their injury. So, Stephanie, one thing that we will hear a lot, and Karen, I fully believe that you can be recovered and compete. How do you navigate with that runner that's like, Stephanie, I, I'm recovering from an eating disorder, but I still want to PR to half, or I want to be able to a run a marathon. How do you navigate that that with them? Yeah, that's a great, great question. And I think that's completely doable. And that's where having the whole team, even a, you know, a counselor on board is important too, because we want to make sure that we're doing it for the right reasons, quote, right Mm. reasons, right? Everyone's right reasons will be different, but are we still, are we looking at exercise and this half marathon PR as a way to control how many calories we're burning or is it just this goal that that whether you reach it or not investing in the process is going to make you feel good and you know make your quality of life better and if it's the latter then let's do it but if you have a history of bone stress injuries and then we're going to take it slower there's no rules really for have, setting a PR for qualifying you know we might decrease your frequency and add in some cross training probably going to be doing some heavy strength training and plyometrics to keep your bones resilient and then making sure you are in very consistent communication with NRD so that you are getting the right nutrition. And if we start to see any signs of overtraining fatigue, then we're going to back off and kind of come back to the drawing board with, you know, nutrition or the emotional component or psychological component of why are we doing this? See, this is a topic I just think we have to talk about more. So when you're working with a runner, so we're stepping into the the running coach hat, how often Mm -hmm. are you checking in with them on those things like you mentioned? Like, hey, have you made any changes to your nutrition? Are you still getting enough sleep? Like, is this 
weekly, almost every training session. Because I think a lot of times people just start in the middle of a training and then that's when things go off the rails. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is where a coach can be really helpful because we do have pretty constant communication through the app that I use. And if there's something of note, you know, we'll get on the phone right away, but we're, we're definitely talking or communicating at least once a week about how things are going. If there's any aches or pains, fatigue, anything like that, that might necessitate some changes or a, again, a, a quick referral, like, Hey, did something change here? Let's have you schedule with your RDs next week to see what's going on. That's great. Mm-hmm. Well, Stephanie, it sounds like you're busy with a lot of things. Um, we run your own PT business coaching. Tell us a bit more about We Run and the programs you are you're doing. Yeah, so that's a, a Facebook community, and it started as a way for women to discuss running issues in a safe space. And as it turned out, there's actually a lot of clinicians in there, physical therapists, coaches, trainers, RDs. And that's been really cool because they're people who are knowledgeable in their fields and they're giving sensible, reasonable advice. You know, unfortunately, in some of some of the other running groups that I've seen, the, and Becca, I don't know, and Kara, I don't know if you've seen this as well, but the advice that's given is just <laughs> prehistoric and outdated oh, yeah. or uh... plain wrong. And you just want to you want to like just go on a rant in there, but you can't, <laughs> or you shouldn't. <laughs> Absolutely. So, there aren't any programs specifically through there right now, which is kind of an open forum, but with some of the women that collaborated to start that, we have a strength training for female runners webinar going on right now, and then potentially more of those in the future. Did you have a um, like half marathon training program? There was a training program that you were doing through the We Run, right? Yeah, so it's not necessarily through that, but it was offered to women in there. Dr. Ellie Summers and I have a kind of an ongoing now, we've switched it, half marathon training program, which is cool because it's like a team environment. And then we do team calls every month to talk about what's going well, what's not. So it's access to a coach, but a little bit less hands-on than would be private training. And you started your own podcast too, didn't you? We did, yeah. We just chat pretty much every week, and we were like, why don't we just put this out to the world? So it's been interesting. Love it. <laughs> we'll have to, we'll have to, I can't wait to listen. That's great. Especially because we've had, at least, so we've had both of the dynamic duo yeah. on the, the podcast. Mm-hmm. Fun. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> I've learned a lot from her. We haven't had anyone on yet with us. But that's that's a possibility for the future. So I'll definitely have you guys well, I think it's on the a, list. That's sometimes kind of fun because that's really like to me when I had so much commuting, podcast became like my conversation in the car. Like a lot of times, po- podcast hosts, you didn't realize I was actually talking or arguing with you. Um, but <laughs> conversation is where change gets started. Mm-hmm. It has to be in that kind of informal not academic science. It just needs to be people sharing stories. And that's why I think it's so important, the work that you're doing, because it's coming full circle from the runner that was the daughter that may have gotten over, not not overlooked, but, you know, ways parents maybe um, could identify those with their children in college to now a physical therapist, running coach. Like, it helps people start to understand more 
ways that they can seek treatment, how it looks different for every individual, and how they can continue to work towards goals. You don't have to give up sports that you love because there's a mm-hmm. diagnosis of eating disorder. Yeah, absolutely. That's huge. Yeah. And yeah, even if that's cool. running, too. I yeah. think that's a big one. I yeah. think people and are gets a, yeah, bad, bad rap. Mm-hmm. The, some of the culture has been um, distorted, but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that the sport in itself is bad. I mean, I look at Catherine Schweitzer in Marathon Woman, where she talks about, you know, her huge thing of chocolate milk and peanut butter and jellies at night to keep her period. Mm-hmm. And so we know that running's not bad. It's not going to harm your health. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Great. Right. Good soapbox. Yeah, but okay. Sorry, I'll good be down. Point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. I think that's why when it is taken away with, um, like for me, it was that's your whole identity, and you think that you're never going to get it back. But that's not necessarily true. Yes, it may need to be some modifications for a period of time, but um, you're absolutely right. It's it's not running. That's the issue. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think treatment, I mean, it ends up feeling like a punishment, mm-hmm. right? And that's not what we want to use sport as. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to come get help. <laughs> right. They'll be forget it. Right. Exactly. Uh, Stephanie, I think we could talk about this stuff all day, but <laughs> we don't want to take up more of your time. So uh, we'd love to ask how you live out your fit philosophy of trying to balance performance, health, intellect, and taking time for self right now. That is something I am definitely still working on. As far as performance and health, I've definitely had to kind of slow down in the past probably year because my, I think my idea of how to perform well and what was healthy was a little skewed and basically been, I mean, slowing down literally in my runs, taking away some activity and sleeping a little bit more time for self is still a little bit more challenging with starting a new business and working through all that. But I, I definitely, like you said, conversation is, I mean, not just to initiate change, but we need community. And I think putting myself in positions where I'm around friends and family more often, that's a big recharge for me. And so making sure that I continue to just actually schedule that and take the time to reflect and slow down has really helped me with living out that fit philosophy. Love it. Well, Stephanie, we're going to be sure to put your information. So if there's any runners that are out there that, you know, are coming from a recovered state or working through recovery right now, and they want to team up with the coach, they can find you. Awesome. I appreciate that. Thank you. I think that's, that's definitely where I'd like to have an influence and and kind of be that coach and guide for people because it is really tough. And unfortunately, as you guys probably have heard too, sometimes when healthcare practitioners don't understand where women are coming from, they'll throw things out like macros and keto and just, you know, things like, oh, yeah, postpartum. Oh, you, or even before having a baby, oh, you've gained a little bit more than most people think comments like that, that just aren't helpful. So Mm-hmm. You can you can team up with someone who has background and or knowledge in your specific experience. It's just gonna empower you a lot more. Amen. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> well, Stephanie, thanks so much for coming on. We loved having you, and have a great rest of your week. 
Thanks so much for having me. You guys are awesome. Bye, Queens. Bye. Today's episode is brought to you by Yours Truly. I'm excited to announce the releasing of my book, Finding Your Sweet Spot in Sport, Avoiding Relative Energy Deficit in Sport, also known as REDS, by optimizing your energy balance. Be sure to follow me on social media or go to my website, www.beccamacomble.com. Bye, Queens. For additional information on today's topic and guests, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fit for a Queen. And Hashtag Fit for a Queen. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. We can't wait for you to join us next time on Fit for a Queen. Bye, Queens.